Hey, this week we're going to go, we're in part two of Facing Giants. And last week we looked at the story of David and Goliath and just talked very straightforward about, about this fact that uh, all of us have some giants in our lives that we need to face, right? And we can either retreat, we can pretend we're ready to fight and then kind of retreat and run when the giant comes out and it can be a relationship, it can be uh, just all kinds of different circumstances in life. And so our, my encouragement last week is let's, let's face this giant, whatever this giant is. Um, let's face the giant. And we looked at the story of, of David, who was just a young boy, maybe 15, 16, 17 years old, that came out and faced Goliath with, with a, a sling. And kind of that story, well, today we're going to kind of continue on in that theme. But today I want to look at um, maybe a, a giant that... And I really do believe this is a giant in many of our lives, if not all of our lives on some level. Uh, but probably one that we wouldn't easily pick out, or maybe it's something that we struggle with that is not as obvious to us as maybe it is to other people. Or maybe it's just not even obvious to a lot of us. But it's kind of this whole concept, this whole idea that we, we have this fear of not having enough. Or maybe not even so much of not having enough, or this, this fear of not being enough, right? And so this giant, although more, maybe a little more subtle than some other things in our lives, also causes us to retreat, also causes us to kind of go back into our, our tents and kind of go back into the familiar and just kind of to stay out of the fray, to, to, uh, to not make decisions, to not move ahead, and we're just kind of gripped with this fear. And maybe the best way to describe this, and I don't know if you'll connect with this or not, is you ever been on a bicycle and have been riding alongside of the road or in a campground or anything like that, and you get right on the edge of the pavement and there's a drop-off, maybe it's a six-inch drop-off or a small drop-off, and you get on that edge, you get on the edge with your, with your bike, and it's like the, mo- the more you want to go this direction, the more it feels like you're just like, riding the edge and you're just like leaning and you're kind of white knuckling your bike and before you know it you're off of the edge and if you would just relax right if you would just relax and control your bicycle the way you could control it you would just kind of ease right back where you need to be but instead you kind of get this fear and you kind of white knuckle your handlebars and you just can't get off of that edge and I wonder sometimes well, maybe I don't even wonder, but I think sometimes that some of us kind of live in that mode. Where we're just kind of white-knuckling through life. And we have this fear. We have this kind of this inside of us, this feeling, and, and we're just worried and we're scared that there's not going to be enough. And you can fill in the blank with all kinds of things. I know automatically our mind a lot of times goes directly to our finances, right? That, that we're just not going to have enough, and it's not going to reach. And we kind of white-knuckle, and we kind of... And here's what I think I have observed, and I say this, listen, I say this carefully, and I say this cautiously, and I say this to myself as much as to any of you, but what I've observed over the last five, six, seven years since our economy has kind of hit a hole is that so many of us... Instead of living out of abundance, instead of living out of generosity, is this whole thing has happened, and we've kind of white-knuckled. And we've kind of had this fear. And listen, I'm not saying that's not all 
that none of it is legit. But we've kind of retreated and we're kind of like gripping and we're kind of white knuckling and, and holding on to everything because of this fear of, white, of what might be or that there's not going to be enough. You know what? I'm 41 years old. And uh, still, I still feel like I'm 25. I really do, most of the time. But every once in a while, I'm just reminded that I'm 41 years old and that life is beginning to move on. And I don't know where, I don't know what age you hit in middle age. What is the age you hit in middle age? Surely it's not till 40, 48 or 50 years old, right? Say what? 70, I like that. Yeah, but every once in a while, I'm just, I'm reminded that I'm, 41 years old, and my oldest kid is 18, and my son is 15, and my family is growing up, and my youngest is 12. And if I fast forward five years, or I fast forward 10 years, all of a sudden, my life, and my home, and what I've just kind of known, in a lot of ways taken for granted, is completely different, and has completely changed. And some of you guys are ahead of us, and you're like nodding your heads, and you know what I'm all, all of a sudden talking about. And here's, here's what I begin to experience a little bit in the last couple of years that I never experienced when I was in my low 30s or as it was in my 20s. Is All of a sudden, I'm like, oh my goodness. If I'm not careful, all of a sudden, all of this is going to be gone. And if I'm not careful, and I struggle sometimes with... This like, i got to hang on. i got to hang on. i got to white knuckle a little bit. You know, there's just kind of this fear of a new stage in life. And then along with that is at 41 years old, I'm thinking, okay, I'm 41. Maybe I can work another, what, 20, 20 30 years. And what's going to happen then? Is there going to be enough for me to retire? Or am I just going to be broke when I'm 80 years old? Or am I just going to be completely broke when I'm 70 years old, and, and all of a sudden these fears and these thoughts, and listen, they're not all just not legit, right? They're reality. But how we deal with those fears, how we deal with those realities can be very, very different. We're going to look at two different stories in Scripture today of two men that were leaders but had very different approaches to this fear, to kind of the things that they face. You know, another way you could look at it is like this. And most of us, some of you maybe have faced situations like this, but probably most of us haven't. And I've, I've heard stories and I've read enough and, and know enough that I know this is true, is if you live on the coast, right, and, or you live kind of in an area where there's hurricanes that come through on a normal basis or every once in a while, that there's two kinds of people. And there are, there are the people that when a hurricane is coming or a storm is coming, all they do is look out for themselves. They board up their house. They go and buy supplies. They kind of hoard supplies and they stockpile. I'm not saying all of that is wrong, but they don't really, they don't really care about the people around them. Everything is about themselves. The looming storm, the looming fear that the storm is coming, and it is coming, And all of a sudden, they react in a way where everything is kind of about themselves. I'm looking out for myself, and we all know people that are like this, right? And some of us are these people. 
And we store stuff, and we hoard stuff, and we buy stuff, and we're going to make sure that we're good. And then there's the other people that, in in the face of a storm, react in a completely different way. They board up their home, and they put things away, but then they think, how can I help someone else? When there's a storm coming, how can I also help the people around me? How can I look at my neighbor and build into their life? How can I live out of the abundance of what I have instead of out of the fear that I won't have enough? And see, all of this, this whole concept is completely counterintuitive to how we naturally think. But I believe it's the way that God wants us to live in all kinds of different areas in our lives. Well, there was a storm looming with the children of Israel. We're in 1 Samuel again, just like we were last week. But there was this this storm looming and this kind of thing hanging over the Israelite people. And again, it was the Philistines. And they were ruthless. They were savage. They hated the Israelites. They hated everything about them. They hated the Israelites' God. And they were preparing to go to war again and attack Israel. And the Bible says this. It says that the Philistines had 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, people, guys that drove these chariots. And then the Bible says this. this. And then the, the, the soldiers of the Philistines numbered like the sands of the seashore. In other words, there was, there was a sea of soldiers. It was this big storm. And there were a couple of leaders that faced a challenge. And how to deal with this storm. How to deal with this fear. How to deal with this this giant looming in their future. 1 Samuel 15 is where we're going to pick up the story. But before we do that, I want to read you kind of the theme verse for today. And that is 2 Timothy 1.7, top of your outline. It says this. This is such an important verse. And listen, for some of you, this verse is maybe all you need to hear today. Because it's just going to penetrate and make sense exactly where you are in life. But it says this, first, 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. In other words, he hasn't given us a spirit of scarcity. This, I'm not sure if I have enough, this fear of the future. But instead, that spirit, if you have it, is not of God. That's what the Bible says. Listen, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But instead, in contrast to that, he has given us... He has given us a mind that is able to think, a mind that is able to figure things out, a body that is, will, or that is able to work, an attitude that is full of power, an attitude that says we can do this, we can get through this. Tomorrow is going to be a good day. It's not going to be a bad day. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So today we're going to talk about this fear of running out, or this fear of not measuring up, or the fear of coming up short. And in this text, in 1 Samuel 15, you have a war that is being waged between Israel and the Philistines and the Amalekites. And we have two different guys. We have one guy that's the king. His name is Saul. And then we have his son, and his name is Jonathan. 
And they're looking and facing the exact same thing, but they, they react and do completely different things as they face this. Saul was kind of being a coward, and Jonathan has courage to do something about what he was facing. And here's the thing, if we look at this carefully, Saul is kind of living out of this, Saul is kind of living out of this mindset of scarcity. And, the, and this mindset, scarcity is rooted in this fear. Scarcity is rooted in this fear, is, and it's in your outline, that there is never enough. That there's not going to be enough. That I don't have enough time, that I don't have the ability, that I don't have enough finances, that I'm not, whatever, fill in the blank, there's not going to be enough, and I'm so scared of that. And I'm so fearful of that, and Saul is kind of living out of this fear instead of out of the mindset of abundance. And some of you are sitting here thinking, well, I don't really have an abundance. And I hope that you leave today with a little bit different perspective. I really do. So how does it play out in our world? And I know I already talked to this a little bit about it. You know, it plays out in our finances. And I'm not going to have enough, that I don't have enough, that next year I'm not going to have enough, that next month I'm not going to have enough. It can play out in all different ways. Through our relationships, it can play out in our time. Right? I don't have enough hours in the day. I just can't get everything done. And I would just say this also is, is comparing, comparing yourself or comparing your life or comparing whatever in your life to someone else's can lead and can push us in this direction. You know, well, they have this, and I don't, and and they don't this, and they don't, and we're back and forth, and it moves us into this place where we think we just don't have it. Everyone else has it better. They've got it better, and why do they have it better, and why am I here? And we begin to compare, and, it, and, compare, and it leads us to this place where we have this fear and this, this attitude and this mindset that we are less than or we have less than anyone else. A limited supply, that everything that we have has a limited supply, and because it's limited supply, we don't have enough. I want, to, I want you to look at these, what's happening here. So 1 Samuel 15, verse 3 is actually where we're going to start. God comes and he speaks directly to Saul. This is the God of the universe, okay? This is the creator. This is God. And he like spells it out to Saul. And in verse 3 he says, Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything. Totally destroy everything that belongs to them and do not spare them. And you read that verse and you think, well, it's pretty clear what Saul is supposed to do. He's supposed to go attack the Amalekites and destroy everything. And here's, I want to stop right here real quick because sometimes you read these Old Testament stories and you're like, man, God is just kind of a harsh, brutal, and it was a brutal time. I mean, it really was. But the concept behind this idea, the concept behind the idea that Saul was supposed to attack and destroy everything and not spare anything 
didn't have to do with the concept that God enjoyed to kill people, that, it, that these guys enjoyed to kill people. But the principle that was here was God was reminding Saul and his people that everything is mine. Everything is mine. And this time when you go to war, you're not going to get any plunder. You're not going to get any slaves. You're going to just destroy it all. In other words, you're going to give it all back to me. So it had very little to do with God killing the people and getting rid of all the animals. It was a reminder to Saul that said, I'm in control. Everything is mine. And when I decide to give it to you, I will give it to you. But when I don't want to give it to you, I'm not going to give it to you. Therefore, I want this time as you go to war. You do it because I'm asking you to do it, and you're not going to receive any plunder at all. It's really what God was saying. He said, it's all about me. Everything is mine. So I want you to destroy it all. That's really what was going on here. Verse 7. So Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. But Saul and the army spared King Agag. And the best of the sheep and the best of the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good, these they were unwilling to completely destroy. And sometimes, here's the thing, you read this story and you're like, well, okay, he disobeyed God, and disobedience is a big part of this, but why did he disobey God? What was the underlying attitude and the thought process in the back of Saul's mind? He saw all of this plunder, he saw all of these animals, he saw all of these things, and he was like, we've got to have them, because we don't have enough, because we don't have enough. And Saul disobeys God, probably primarily because of this mindset that he had. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. And we already know this about Saul. And we already know this about the Israelite people. They were wealthy. They were the wealthiest. At this point, they were one of the wealthiest, well-off people in the world. They were blessed. It sounds a little bit like America, doesn't it? And yet Saul totally disobeyed a direct command of God. Have you ever been in a situation, men, this is probably more for me and for you than it is for you ladies, but have you guys ever been in a situation when an opportunity presents itself? Maybe it's a job or maybe it's... uh, I don't know, fill in the blank, but an opportunity presents itself to you and your mind and your thought process is like this, is like, I'm not sure that this opportunity will ever present itself again. But in order to take advantage of the opportunity, you have to compromise some values or you have to compromise your integrity And it's not a big thing, maybe, but it's just a little thing. But you're thinking, well, but if I don't go for it, this chance may never come by again. I may never have the chance at this job, or I may never have the chance to save that kind of money, or I may never have the chance to get myself into that position again. And because of the fear that it may never happen again, we compromise or we do something that just goes a little bit against what we know 
is a high level of integrity and a high standard in our lives. It's exactly what Saul did. And we don't know exactly what his thought process was, but obviously with something like, well, I can't pass this up. Look at it. Look at it. And here's what Saul did. And we do this. We're so guilty of this as Christians. You know, Saul obeys God. There's partial obedience with Saul. Listen, there's partial obedience. Saul says, okay, I'll attack the Amalekites. And you know what, God? I'll even kill off all of the weak animals and the sick animals and kind of the bottom of the pile. I'll give that. I'll, I'll get rid of that. I'll give it to you, God. You can have this. In other words, God, you can kind of have the leftovers. But I'm not going to give you the best. I'm going to give you the best of my time. I'm not going to give you the best and the first of the money that you are blessing me with, and you can fill in the blank with all kinds of other things. It's exactly what Saul did. Saul said, well, I'm going to obey, but it was just partial obedience. And it was all all out of this mindset of I may never have this opportunity again. This, I can't pass this up. Maybe I don't have enough. Maybe I won't have enough. I've got to hang on to this. And he's kind of white-knuckling the whole situation. And it leads to this question for you and me. And maybe for some of you, you can't answer this question right on the spur of the moment. And that's okay, but I would challenge you. I would challenge you to struggle with this question. I really would. You know what? One of my, and I know I've said this before, but one of my biggest frustrations as a pastor in preaching is that I preach my guts out on Sunday morning and 80-some percent of you walk out that door and forget everything that I said. That's just reality. But just how that's just the stats. But if this question, would you be courageous enough and brave enough to struggle with this question? And maybe to even have a conversation with someone that knows you well and you're close to. What is it that you cannot risk letting go of? What is that one thing in your life that you are white knuckling? And it is very, very difficult, if, if not almost impossible, for you to just release and live out of abundance instead of out of fear. What is it? You know how they used to catch monkeys? You guys know this. And you catch raccoons this way. I've never done it, but I guess you can catch a raccoon this way. They used to catch monkeys by taking a coconut or some like a gourd or something, and they would, they would hollow it out, and then they would put a hole on one side of the gourd or the, the coconut, and they would fill it with rice. And then they would, hang these, they would hang these coconuts in a tree or attach it to something, and monkeys would come out, and they would smell the coconut, and they would smell the rice, and they could just barely fit their hands into the hole. And they would reach inside, and they would grab a hold of the rice, and they could not get their fists out of the gourd, and they would literally just walk up on them and catch them because they refused to let go of the rice. And see, there's nothing in the intellect or connected to a monkey that tells him if you let go of the rice, you can get free and you can save your life. And I wonder sometimes if some of us are living in the, in the same manner. You know, there's a verse in the New Testament that I can't remember the reference right now. Some of you know it. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life, abundant life. 
And some of us are living with this fear. Some of us are living with our hands inside of the gourd or inside of the coconut, and we're white-knuckling whatever it is that is in there that we think we have to have, and it is literally destroying our lives. And it is for sure keeping us from enjoying abundant life and the life that God really wants to give us. So how do we live out of abundance? How does this work? I'll just say this real quick. Is I don't know what that coconut is for you. I don't know what your rice is. Okay, I don't know what that rice is for you. It might be approval of people. It might be approval of a certain person. It might be, um, it might be a relationship that, honestly, you're a part of or you're in a relationship and it is breaking the heart of God and you know it, but you just can't let it go. Maybe it's harboring bitterness or unforgiveness to someone that has hurt you and it's a legitimate hurt, but you're just holding on to it and you're not going to let it go. It might be a little friendship squabble. Now, it could be anything. I don't know what your rice is. But would you at least struggle with the question? What is that one thing? What is that thing that you're scared to death, risking to let go of it and just trusting God? It might be control. You know what a big thing is for us men is it's finances. And listen, I understand the pushback when we talk about some of this stuff and we're like, I don't have abundance. And I'm, I am as guilty as anyone else in this room. I honestly am. But here's what we forget so often. And this is why I think it's so important that even if you have no calling for the mission field and you don't care about people in Africa, just go one time because it changes your perspective. Go somewhere because here's the reality and here's the truth of how rich you and I are. If you... Live in a home, and you make over twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars a year combined income. Combined income, you are in the top five percent of the wealthiest people in the world. Do you know that? And some of you are looking at me. I don't think that's true. Well, I'm sorry. It's true. You know, it's just the way it is. You are in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. And listen, if you make a combined income in your home that is over $40,000 or $45,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. Some of you need to go somewhere and see poverty. And some of you need to go somewhere and expand your world vision. And yet so many of us that are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world are living with a scarcity mindset. And we are not living out of the abundance of what we have. Something's wrong. We're always scared there's not enough. And we're always looking for the next thing, aren't we? And listen, I'm as guilty as any of you. Maybe more guilty. I'll admit it. And see, living out of abundance starts with this 
with this knowledge and with the reality and us coming to the realization, and it's not necessarily easy. But when, when we walk with the Lord, listen, when we become Christians, when we become Christ followers, all of the economics of this world kind of turn backwards. It really does. Instead of less becoming less, less becomes more. That's why the Christian life is, is, requires us to live out of faith. Because a lot of times it doesn't make sense. And a lot of times we just have to trust that less is going to be more. Because everything kind of gets turned upside down. You know, and that's just how it is. So my prayer this morning is that we don't live like Saul, but we start living more like Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. And we're going to look at a couple things, but three things real quick before we look at the story. I'm already running out of time. But living out of abundance starts with these things. First one is this, is understanding and realizing, knowing God as my unlimited supply. Knowing God is my unlimited supply. And listen, here's the only way we ever live that way and we ever get it into our heads is if we get to know this God. It's born out of a relationship with this God, not just a head knowledge, not just a Sunday morning, twice a month, three times a month, once a month, coming to church, I was a great servant, I enjoyed the people, blah, blah. That comes out of me knowing this God. That comes out of me talking with him, reading from his Bible, fellowshipping with his people, learning his ways. And it also means stepping out in faith sometimes and, and allowing him to become real. You know, there's a story that I read about a little girl, and her dad was a donut. He owned a bakery, and he made these famous donuts, and everybody loved these donuts. And as this girl was growing up in school, her friends would always fight and would just love to come to her place on Friday nights and spend the night because they knew this, that Saturday morning they were going to go to the donut shop. And as they would go into the donut shop, they would look into the glass where all the donuts are at, and they would say this, could I have one of those chocolate-covered donuts. And the little girl would say, yeah, you can have a chocolate-covered donut. Well, what about this one? And what about that one? And the little girl would always reply the same way. And she would say, you can have as many donuts as you can possibly eat. You just help yourself. You eat as many as you want. You do whatever you want with the donuts. And the girls would be just amazed, and they would say this. They would say, well, how can you, know, how can you just give donuts away? And the girl would answer this way, and she would say, the reason we could give donuts away is because my daddy makes the donuts. And he can make more. What if we lived? What if we lived? What if we got to know God in that way? What if we got to know our Heavenly Father in a way that people would say, I don't understand how you can do that. I don't understand how you can give that away. I don't understand how you can offer that forgiveness. I don't understand how you can let that go. I don't know how you can take that risk. And we would just stand back and say, well, you don't know my dad. See, my dad, he makes that stuff. And it's unlimited. There's an unlimited supply with him. Because he can just make more. So it starts with knowing God as my unlimited supply. Secondly, knowing who I am in him. What is my identification? Who am I 
in my relationship with God. Who am I? How does God see me? Not how does she see me, not how does my dad see me, not how does my mom see me, not how do my friends see me, but how does God see me? Who does God say I am? And that's a whole other sermon right there. And then thirdly, knowing what he can do through me. Knowing what God can do through me if I just get out of his way, if I just trust if I just step out, if I just give it up, if I take that risk and I let it go, what he can do through me. So there's all these soldiers that are getting ready to attack Israel. Saul is hiding under a tree. He's kind of being a coward. And Jonathan evidently is tired and kind of fed up with his dad. And he's like, somebody's got to do something, right? We've got to do something about this problem. Dad's not doing anything. The leaders aren't doing anything. Somebody has to do something. And so 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, Jonathan says to his, ar- to his armor bearer, he says, come, let's go over to the outpost of those ur- uncircumcised fellows. And perhaps, so there was thousands of Philistines. Jonathan says, we've got to do something. He said, let's go over. Let's kind of expose ourselves. In other words, the story goes, Jonathan says, let's go over so they can see us in this valley. And perhaps, maybe, just maybe, the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Jonathan's like, we got to do something, and I don't know for sure if God's going to show up. But he might. Maybe he will. And if he decides to, there's nothing that anybody can do to keep him from doing what he wants to do. And here's what's interesting. Here's what I know is true and what I want you to understand. When we live out of the abundance of what we already have, okay, in any area of life, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick risky fights. We're going to do some things that are risky sometimes. We're going to take a chance. We're going to take a chance on a relationship. Right? We're going to offer forgiveness one more time. We're going to stick in there just a little bit longer. Whatever you can fill in the blanks. We're going to give just a little bit more than we probably should. We're going to give to the point where it hurts. We're going to give to the point where we actually have to sacrifice. You can fill in the blank. We're going to pick risky fights. We're going to sometimes do things that if we fail, people are going to think that we're crazy. And you know what? It's okay. Jonathan says, basically, let's pick a fight. Perhaps God will show up. <laughs> you know, let's go out and let's kind of expose ourselves. Somebody's got to do something. It's a big risk. Some of you have some things that you probably need to pick a fight with. And you need to do something. You get out of your cave. You need to quit retreating. Quit backing off. Maybe it's time to pick a fight. And listen, for some of you, it might be things where the way you pick a fight is to get on your knees and start praying like you've never prayed before. And continue to pray. 
and to fight that way. Maybe you have a parent, or maybe you have a child, and maybe you do have a parent, but someone that you're close to in your, in your family that, that you've prayed for, for for years or for days, and you've kind of given up the fight. Maybe it's time to pick a fight again. Secondly, well, let me read you these verses. 1 Samuel 14 again, 14 and 15. So here's what happened. I'm going to read all the verses. Jonathan and his armor bearer walk out in kind of this valley, and the Philistines are up on a cliff or kind of up on this hill, and they see them, and they say, um, and they say, hey, come up here. Why don't you guys come up here so we can teach you a lesson? And so Jonathan and his armor bearer climb up, to where the Philistine army is. Two men. Two men. And in verse 14 and 15, we see what happens. It says, In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer, two men, killed 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. And then panic took over the Philistines. They were like, what is going on? And then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outpost and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. God showed up. Jonathan took a risk. Jonathan didn't, listen, Jonathan refused to live out of this mindset of, I don't have enough. We're not enough. It's only two of us. And instead, Jonathan lived out of this attitude and this mindset that we are enough. With God, we have enough. If God shows up, when God shows up, we are more than enough, and no one can do anything about it if God shows up. And he lived out of his abundance and not out of what he didn't have and not out of the fear of not having enough. And so the second thing that we begin to live this life is we will live recklessly selfless lives. And listen, I know that's kind of like, kind of, like really a bold statement. Well, how about what if we would live completely in a ourselves? Seriously. Well, we would just live selfless lives, that we would share things, that we would give things, that we would offer forgiveness before we would even need to offer forgiveness, that we would stick in there with each other, that we would be selfless in the way that we live. What would happen? And see, when we begin to live out of our abundance, that's the type of life that God wants us to live and calls us to live. I'm going to close with these verses. Mark 8, 35 and 36. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. That's pretty straightforward. Are you white-knuckling? Are you white-knuckling an area of your life, honestly? And you're just like, holding on and you're kind of grasping and you're holding close. This verse says if you're doing that, you may lose it all. It's exactly what it says. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, listen, whoever gives it up, whoever lives out of the abundance of what they already have for God and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? you guys pray with me?